0: Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi everyone, welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, author of The Cryptopians. I started covering crypto six years ago, and as the senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the April 26th, 2022 episode of Unchained. This episode of Unchained is brought to you by Beefy Finance, the multi-chain yield optimizer. Beefy is the easiest way to earn more from your crypto. Deposit funds into Beefy's secure vaults to auto-compound yields across 12 blockchains. Got crypto? Choose Beefy. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking with Cross River Bank. Request your fiat on off-ramp solution now at crossriver.com/slash crypto. Galaxys. Create unstoppable communities by issuing NFTs with interactive, dynamic utility traits that allow any creator to engage with, reward, and monetize their following. Buy, earn, and spend crypto on the Crypto.com app. New users can enjoy zero credit card fees on crypto purchases in the first 30 days. Download the Crypto.com app and get $25 with the code Laura. Link in the description. Today's guest is Amy Wu, head of FTX Ventures and Gaming Initiatives. Welcome, Amy. Hey, Laura. You went from being a partner at Lightspeed Ventures to heading up M&A and ventures at FTX. Tell us what it is that you do for FTX.
1: So I started at FTX at the beginning of this year. I actually um, had the pleasure of meeting Sam um, begman fried our CEO, um, earlier last year when he was raising his first institutional round. And was just honestly like so compelled by him and the vision and everything that FTX is doing that I thought it was a really unique time in the company's life cycle and uh, was thrilled to join. And similarly to almost everybody at FTX, I wear multiple hats. You know, I spend a lot of my time playing a leadership role with FTX Ventures, but then also our global M&A efforts. And uh, and then also um, our gaming business. You know, we've been, you know, obviously talking with um, almost all the largest gaming companies in the world and seeing how we can be uh, support them as a technology partner as they're uh, launching into Web3. And uh, and so that's been super exciting as well.
0: And you're really into gaming from what I understand. Ha- talk a little bit about your background and your journey and how you got into both gaming and crypto.
1: Yeah, I've been a gaming investor actually uh, longer than crypto. Uh, so first time I got into gaming. Well, first of all, I was a lifelong gamer. Really grew up playing first-person shooters and um, a lot of other games with my little brother. And then um, professionally, first started covering gaming when I was an investor at Insight, and this was I don't know, like eight, almost like probably eight nine years ago. Now, when we were sort of majority shareholders in Jagex, RuneScape. And also looked at a number of other large gaming companies at the time um, from an investor lens. And then subsequently, I also covered gaming eSports when I was uh, an executive at Discovery, the global media company. And uh, and so then naturally, when I was a partner at Lightspeed as an investor, I led our gaming investing and had, you know, um, supported companies like Fortnite Epic Games, um, 1047 Games, and a number of other studios. And so um, that's kind of like a long history. And, then, and on the crypto side, you know, actually, my, my really good friend, Paul from Pantera, got me into the space. We were angel investing together back in 2017. And then I led um, crypto investing for Lifespeed from, from like beginning of last year. And, you know, obviously, I uh, spend most of my time covering crypto investing, and in particularly Web3 now.
0: So in February, FTX US announced that it is launching a new gaming unit to help gaming studios incorporate NFTs into their games. And at the time you tweeted, at FTX, we offer an end-to-end solution of our core product to launch NFTs and tokens, a custodial wallet with non-custodial integrations, primary and secondary trading, compliance and licensing, and more, all white-labeled and in-house. Can you talk about what it is that is that vision of that product that FTXUS will be providing to gaming studios?
1: Yeah. So I think I'm going to try to bring this to life with an example. So say you're a gaming company and um, you're, you have you know, your own gaming account, let's say. Um, and a player who signs up for one of your games, actually, the first thing they do is they spin up an account like, um, that's owned by the studio. And so the idea is that if the gaming studio wants to launch by three elements you know fungible or non-fungible token. the a lot of pieces of that let's say the wallets the marketplace is I, I would say fairly commoditized but what is not is the compliance around that so um, you know as, as FTX like we actually so we support something like um, around 16 billion dollars so of transactions crypto transactions per day we're also in o- over 160 jurisdictions. We spent um, up north of a billion dollars last year just acquiring companies to uh, um, acquire essentially licensing fiat crypto on-ramps across the globe in order to facilitate crypto transactions in a compliant environment. And that is actually kind of the hardest thing for for you a know, publicly traded company or a large company to be able to do um, on their own. And you can imagine in this case, you're a player and you just... You just grind it in the game and you're collecting an nft item well potentially when i collect that item it actually drops into a white labeled ftx custodial wallet and um as a player i have no idea i'm actually working with ftx at this point i just think i'm like literally just collecting items in the game however that gaming studio now has a compliant environment in which to hold those in-game assets. Um, And then, you know, the, and then the item can then subsequently be potentially transferred into like an open marketplace in order to trade either within the walls of that gaming studio or in like a a fully open um, NFT marketplace. And so there's a lot of different ways to implement those user flows, but this is sort of an illustrative way of, you know, how to compliantly offer Web3 Elements as a gaming studio to your player, but also in a way that doesn't disrupt the natural flows of a player that's just like um, you know used to play games and the alternative is you know you can have them download a non-custodial wallet and then maybe go on ftx or coinbase and buy tokens transfer it to their wallet then integrate that into your game the friction is just so much higher in terms of onboarding and you know one of the core theses that we have is that the majority of players are actually just going to play the game rather than actually interact and trade an in-game um, item, like on-chain or not. And so therefore, like, you know, th- those are the players that, that, you know, a studio should be catering to.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. that Well, that all makes sense uh, what you said at the end. But one thing that I have to admit is like, at first I kind of didn't understand the compliance for just like NFTs. What are you talking mainly tokens or like what, what are the compliance parts for NFTs?
1: So it turns out that one of the most regulated parts of operating crypto is this conversion from fiat to crypto. So if I'm a consumer and I want to actually pay a dollar, um, I want to put my credit card or debit card or transfer USD and convert that into a cryptocurrency or asset of any sort. That is actually one of the highest, um, most regulated parts of, um, that transaction. And depending on what jurisdiction it is around, um, across the world, there's different licensing and banking partners that you need in order to facilitate that, that part of the transaction. There's also money transfer licensing that you need, um, in order to transfer assets of value. And that's another regulatory layer on top of that. And so, you know, I think, you know, we like to think at FTX is that we have actually the biggest network of, um, of licenses around the globe, U.S. and also outside the U.S. in order to help facilitate this specific, um, this transaction, and, you know, most of the large gaming companies are actually global. And so um, this is something where down the road at some point, their GC and their compliance team are going to be asking, all right, are we allowed to do what you want to actually do in game? And that's where I think we can provide the most value since as a global crypto exchange, compliant transactions is actually sort of our core value that we provide. So
0: FTX is also spending $100 million with Lightspeed, your former firm, and Solana to spur integration of Solana into video games. In general, I'm noticing like this, you know, huge focus on gaming as a category. Why is that?
1: Gaming has really captured a lot of people's, you know, sort of imagination as one of the biggest potential sources of onboarding mainstream audiences into crypto because today i mean we're still we, you know we're in sort of like the millions of people that are holding crypto and um we still have another sort of billion yeah, billions of people to go um around that um, i do think we need fun entertaining and also like real use cases in crypto beyond just trading crypto and having a be store of value and that's finally coming online this year And we're really excited about that in ventures. But specifically for gaming, you know, some stats are kind of $200 billion industry revenue industry last year, two to three billion gamers globally. If you you include sort of mobile platform and then now kind of up and coming like browser platform as a game as well. And so, therefore, it's just such a huge um, number of people to potentially onboard, Um, especially if you consider that gamers have essentially value digital assets longer than almost anybody with um, buying and trading, grinding for in-game assets. And so originally, um, you know, people in Web3 and crypto have thought, well, you know, owning that asset is just a natural next step in terms of that in-game item being, a, you know, an NFT. However, you know, obviously there's been a huge backlash in the gaming industry, gamers in particular, against this concept of, of Web three and NFTs, and so it's been pretty fascinating. You know, I was recently at GDC, um, largest gaming conference, and um, mm-hmm. you know this year, and it's feeling that tug and pull. You know, most gaming companies, I would say at least at the CEO level, typically are very excited. Gaming, large gaming companies always have like you know dozens of experiments that they're working with, right? They have. Dozens of titles, some of you that that are huge and others in production. And so therefore, like, you know, most of the large gaming companies that we were talking to have some experiments or innovation sort of brewing in the um, Web3 space. Because, you know, if this does become a a massive sort of trillion dollar industry, then they don't um, in in games, they don't want to miss out. And so therefore, like, it's just been an area of intense interest and a lot of activity that um, a lot of partners, um, vendors, you know, like ourselves are are spending a lot of time with.
0: So yeah, I definitely want to talk about that backlash. But first, let's just talk a little bit about this history that gaming has around incorporating like money or objects of value into earning or into play. Because... As far as I understand, like before crypto came along, there was this concept of free to play games and players kind of resented those. Um, I heard you say they often seem to be designed more as pay to win games, but then that evolved. And then now there's been this new evolution of like play to earn. And yet again, play to earn, I think, you know, initially there was kind of like a lot of promise around it. And then now there's, people are kind of aware that there can be problems where many of these people that are playing the games are more like mercenaries, just wanting to earn the token or earn whatever the money is. And then, you know, not really interested in the game. So, yeah. yeah, So how do you, like, what do you think is the kind of best vision of how games can incorporate blockchain based, um, tokens or assets. And do you think like play to earn is dead, or do you think it has to be revised in some fashion?
1: My pieces around gaming monetization paradigms is that I personally think that, um, web three is a, then the, an evolution of free to play gaming rather than in itself, a monetization strategy. So, um, if you look at the evolution of, of uh, free to play, essentially like gaming. Twenty years ago, the predominant gaming industry was really like premium games. Right, I go to the store, I go to GameStop, I I buy, um, I pay uh, forty bucks for the latest you know PlayStation game, and that is pretty much the end of my monetization for that, that game as a gamer. Right, until they came up with like the sequel, and then I might you know buy that, and so like free to play is this concept that um, instead of having this activation of like $40 or whatever that is, 20 bucks or whatever, in order for me to even start playing the game, it's free to play to begin with. And then essentially the monetization happens in game, right? I can accelerate my progression. I can, um, in various ways, I can buy certain things. Like I can buy skins, cosmetic items in the game. And so essentially it's like, um, and actually it's the gaming industry. I think, um, adopting a lot of the mechanisms of consumer internet, which is that you monetize players depending on the segmentation of players. You're going to have player whales. You're going to have people that will never spend a dollar in your um, your game. However, you can monetize them via ads, right? Um, And then you'll have people in between. Or you have people that you're not even monetizing in ads. However, they're adding to the overall player base. And so it is adding to the overall experience of all the players if it's like a social... Um, sort of multiplayer game and so this uh, concept of segmentation of players and then optimization of the lifetime value by segmented players actually just has a given birth to this to this sort of crop of evergreen games um, games much larger from both the player base and also a um monetization like total revenue perspective than ever seen before. And sort of like all the largest games like in the world now are pretty much free to play, whether it's um League of Legends, Riot game, and then um or like Fortnite or you know Genshin Impact and and others. And then within that, you know, it's uh free like web three or having kind of like um tokenized in-game currency or sort of nft which is really just like another of iter- another type of like in game item is is just like adding what is an like open economy to previously closed economy almost like um it's like simulations of open economy right now it's like actually full economy because a player can just trade that token openly on the exchange or um trade that nft openly in exchange um and um and it as a level of difficulty for game designers and game economists to balance the various parts of that game economy, because it's now so open. Um, but it also potentially op- like makes, for example, an open world MMO game feels even more real. And it also allows like new innovative ways of gameplay now that it's totally open. And also it helps, it it unlocks a few more lovers. For example, we've seen, for example, Parallel Life, um, like in others, that even before the game is launched, you know how do you actually engage and start building the community around that game before it launches? Well, if you launch an NFT collection that people know that they can then utilize and game later, but it immediately has some amount of like value, um, and then there's like ways that they can start interacting with the community. Then you're essentially building this pre-built like passionate community that has skin in the game because they've actually bought something in your game. Far before your game has actually launched, and it's a way of um, then basically dropping a a um, active community into your game on day one. Now, there's definitely a backlash. Like this is part of the backlash where some gamers are like, "Wow, you're literally selling me these NFTs on this future promise and you're going to deliver me a great gaming product. And are you actually going to ever launch this gaming product? When are you launching this? A lot of times, the products have made at times like you know. 50 to hundred million dollars, something like that on, you know, NFT drops and, and some of them get distracted because of that. And, you know, they're less focused on making the game and things like that. And so, you know, I understand why some players are frustrated with, you know, the introduction, but at a pure sort of conceptual level, it, um, it basically just adds so many interesting levers for a game studio or a consumer brand, you know, a consumer internet company to play with like player and user reward and retention.
0: And what do you think about play to earn? Do you feel like that model is broken or do you feel like it's not like just, there are a lot of questions about it. I feel, you know.
1: Yeah, I I think it's a challenge model. Um, So I think think when people say play to earn, what they mean is completely supplementing people's income with, um, you know, revenue that they're going to make in game. So the reality is, is that a, a, um, a, a type of play to earn has existed in gaming for the last 20 years, right? As in, you know, um, people in Western markets have paid people in emerging markets to grind for items, for gold, et cetera, in games since like about 20 years ago, since, you know, the old Rinske days or like, you know, World Warcraft, right? Gold farmers. And, uh, And there's some people that can earn a living um, doing that, but it's always, but that population of earners have always been dwarfed by the population of actual game players. And so um, in quote unquote play to earn, which is essentially borrowing that terminology from what was previously a gray market, right? um, Or black market in in games. You could still have absolutely populations of people who are earning a living, playing games, grinding for items, et cetera. But personally, I always think it's going to be It's going to be smaller than the actual player population and by a very large margin. And so you'll have an industry there potentially, but I think it's going to be somewhat limited. So
0: obviously right now with crypto entering kind of the gaming area, we are seeing that it's bumping up against some really basic facts about, you know, executing transactions in crypto right now, which is that there's a lot more demand for block space than there actually is space. And so fees can be high and gaming is one of those things where potentially you could have a lot of transactions. So how do you think games can kind of incorporate crypto now in a way that isn't either cost prohibitive or just something that is completely not fun as a user?
1: Yeah. So lots of different ways incorporate Web3 elements to it. On the one hand, you can essentially just drop some cosmetic NFTs, which is no different from like you know a game like launching skins for a character, which many free to play games like have today. But that those skins can actually just be traded outside of the confines of the gaming studio, and uh, and that's all that is NFT skin. And on the other end of the spectrum is what if every single gaming transaction. Is actually carried out on chain. And I would say that pretty much today, that's like virtually impossible. Like, there is no public blockchain that has the throughput and uh, that can sustain that kind of transaction volume for one of the major games. And that's totally fine. I mean, today, games are starting with minting NFTs um, items on chain. And then I think, like, promises that in the future, like, as public blockchains scale. You know, and, and L2s are helping with that, like on Starkware. And then you already have, for example, um, the some of the alternative L1s like Solana and Polygon are able to um, be a lot cheaper, for example, than running transactions on Ethereum and also a lot more environmental friendly at the moment. You know, um, there are a lot of different ways that games can incorporate Web3 elements today. You can also, games can launch a token as well. Game studios, you know, obviously there's um, legal... Complexity with that. And so, in terms of how do you launch that, is one consideration. But then also a practical consideration is that actually it's a lot more easy to control um, and and manage NFTs in your gaming environment than if you actually tokenize your in game currency. Because once you do that, then you are essentially going to be actively balancing that currency. Otherwise, it's disrupting actual gameplay. And so, uh, we kind of encourage gaming studios to start with launching NFTs and then, uh, before launching their in-game token. Um, but, you know, we have partnered with, for example, um, Comtus, which, which is a publicly traded Korean-based gaming company that launched Summoner's War, one of the largest, you know, mobile MMOs in the world. Um, they've launched, um, C2X on FTX and they, um, are embedding the C2X token in, know 10 games they have in their pipeline from here to the end of the year, they're also um using the C2X token as part of their games launch pad, which to partner with Terra blockchain with. Um, and so a lot of utility for that token. And we think that's like a really terrific way to um embed a lot of utility right now and something. And we'll see how it goes, right? It's still like super early in in the experiment and in um in the roadmap. But um, early on, it's gotten a tremendous amount of user interest.
0: That is so interesting. One thing is that just the way you described it, at least I think in the US, that might be considered a security because th- there would be kind of like a centralized company that would be responsible for the success of that. But it sounds like in Korea, that's not
1: how a security is defined or... Currently, um, they structure it in a way that they think is compliant. But, you know, there's a new administration currently in, um, in Korea that's actually very crypto friendly. And so, you know, there's lots of ongoing conversations around, you know, how to stay compliant at all times. And that's the thing, you know, compliance is like an ever moving target and it involves like, um, regular conversations with, um, the right regulators, uh, in order to always, you know, stay, stay in lockstep.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think it's confusing because different jurisdictions have different laws. But Mm -hmm. yeah, Do Kwon was on my show and and talked about how just how friendly the South Korean president is to crypto. So, (laughs) you know, at the moment, you know, as we discussed, there are kind of scaling issues when it comes to crypto gaming. But I think there are also other issues, and you kind of talked about some of them. But are there any other? Kind of user experience type issues that you feel that gaming um, needs to improve when it comes to adopting NFTs and other
1: blockchain based assets into games? So I'll give you actually a really tangible example. Um, at GDC, we also announced that FTX had acquired Storybook Brawl, which, was, uh, uh, which is an auto battler card game um, sort of. In sort of like a similar genre as Hearthstone, and very beloved, you know, like a lot of people um, play it at FDX. Actually, Sam's childhood friends with um, Matt, the CEO of um, Storybook Brawl, and um, that's how we got introduced. And and um, when we announced the announcement, actually, there was quite a lot of of you know public sort of um, negativity around. Oh, now Storybook Brawl is like selling out. They're you know they're gonna they're gonna ruin the game by. Um, by launching NFTs, et cetera, there's just essentially this immediate visceral reaction by a vocal minority within the gaming community that NFT equals bad, like crypto equals bad because, you know, there are actually scams and money grabs in the space, but there's also like really good teams and people trying to build something great for players. I will say that interestingly, I mean, because we like, you know, are part of the same team now, like that the announcement essentially like, Even though there was a negativity, it virtually did not impact the play and the kind of like engagement and player base in the game. In fact, some of the most vocal people like we know continue to play the game. And and so that's, and and actually like Storybook and and we got a lot of people saying, hey, love this development. Really excited to see the innovations here. Like I'm not going to post anything publicly because I don't want to get like torn down by people on Twitter. And so like, I just, I come back to the fact that it's like a vocal minority. And again, we totally understand that the proof is on the crypto and gaming community to actually create fun experiences for gamers and rather than like not fun experiences for gamers where it's just kind of like a token money grab, that responsibility is definitely on the developer side. But, you know, um, I think, and, um, and so I don't want to like make light of people's negativity, but I do think it's, uh, it's still the minority. I've actually, we've gotten a lot of support and a lot of people that are really excited to see like, you know, where um, that team is going to take the innovation
0: yeah. I've experienced something similar where you have like a large group and then there's one small vocal minority that like hears a lot about one issue and they make so much noise and frankly will attack anyone who doesn't agree with them. So then you end up getting flooded with private messages of people who disagree
1: with them, but don't want to say it publicly. <laughs> uh, so that's yeah. <laughs> interesting how that happens. And at the end of the day, these are like developers that are pouring their you know heart into making great products. And, um, and, you know, it's disheartening for them to see the negativity um, online. And so, you know, I, I really hope that um, over time that we're just gonna launch great experiences and then people will just see that as proof in itself.
0: So in a moment, we'll talk more about this backlash against crypto NFTs by normies, but first a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Finance is changing, strategies are changing, holding is changing. Beefy Finance, the multi-chain yield optimizer, Allows you to maximize passive income while you sleep. Simply deposit your crypto into Beefy's secure, industry leading auto compounding vaults to put your funds to work. Each one of Beefy's 740 vaults automatically reinvests the interest gained on your crypto deposits, earning you more while saving you time and fees. Beefy's strategies create bank busting APYs with 0% deposit fees at the click of a button join 1.4 billion dollars of investments and understand why so many users trust beefy with their financial independence visit beefy.finance and take control of your financial future join over 10 million people using crypto.com the easiest place to buy earn and spend over 150 cryptocurrencies new users enjoy zero credit card fees on crypto purchases in their first 30 days with Crypto.com Earn, you can get industry-leading interest rates of up to 8.5% on over 40 coins, including Bitcoin, and earn up to 14% on stablecoins. With the Crypto.com Visa card, you can spend your crypto anywhere. Enjoy up to 8% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions, and zero annual fees. Download the crypto.com app and get $25 with the code Laura. Link in the description. It's becoming clear that utility is the future of NFT technology and no launch platform does utility better than Galaxys. Anyone with a community can now engage with reward and monetize their following by issuing an NFT collection with dynamic utility traits. These traits can be customized to the needs of a particular community and change over time, allowing the creator to sustain a prolonged relationship with their most valuable followers. Visit Galaxys.xyz to learn more. Building the next big thing in crypto? CrossRiver has your back. Whether you are a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, CrossRiver's integrated API-based platform provides the payments solutions you need to grow. CrossRiver is powering the future of financial services. A CryptoFin Industry Award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, CrossRiver's tech stack supports crypto partners and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking. Request your fiat on-off-ramp solution now at crossriver.com crypto. Back to my conversation with Amy. So I actually want to just kind of give listeners a sense of, you know, what this pushback has looked like. We've seen when companies like EA and Team17 have made announcements about NFTs, then they've had to pull back from their plans. There was a company, Ubisoft, which definitely faced quite harsh criticism, but they actually didn't reverse course. There was Valve, which owns the online game store Steam, and they decided to prohibit blockchain games that use NFTs. And then the head of Microsoft Xbox said that he saw NFTs as exploitative. So, you know, I actually thought before I kind of looked into this deeply that most people were just upset about the environmental impact of of crypto is, you know, what they think of it or, or NFTs. You know, without because they're they seem to not be aware of the nuances between different consensus algorithms. but um I actually read in this one New York Times article about this backlash that actually some of this stems from kind of some users protesting that video game companies have been trying to nickel and dime them for a long time and so they view nfts as just another manifestation of companies trying to do that. So how much what as you're Kind of navigating this world. How much of this do you think is a negative response to crypto or NFTs themselves versus kind of protest that stems from the past behavior of gaming companies?
1: I think it's a mix of all of that. Gamers have historically been very sensitive to any like disruption or bastardization of you know their beloved products. You know, in MMOs um, since the dawn of time, you know. When like the game maker has kind of made a pretty big like change in the and introduced, I don't know, like new economies and new markets into some of these games, like you you get absolute like rioting. You know, actually, when I was at uh, insight, uh we had we had like a bomb scare from <laughs> like the runescape players because we had done something on the monetization side that people really, really hated. I mean, players are hyper passionate about like, you know, n- people not messing with their product. And so therefore, it's like, you know, it's not a surprise that they're worried about bad players and the crypto world and, and the money grab and the scams, etc. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, um, I, I really feel for that. And there are, I think, like just right ways and wrong ways of implementing like some of these like Web3 components, for example you know, in the true spirit of free to play, I don't think it should cost like a few hundred dollars for somebody to start playing. Like anyone should be able to start playing a game. Like um, it shouldn't cost like two ETH to buy an in-game NFT. It should be essentially affordable to absolutely everybody. Um, And maybe there are some rare items though that you're pricing differently. And quite frankly, like even today, you know, as a player, you can grind for a rare item or you can like buy a rare item from like a in-game marketplace, right? And I don't think that's, Crazy at all for um, like you know for for the NFT version of that item to have a similar type of like um, marketplace, and I think following this kind of ethos, like allowing players to be able to grind their way to um, to like get get their NFTs, which for example is like what Ubisoft had done with their um, NFT collection, I think are all like really equitable ways of offering that to players. And so I think like that's um, one way to potentially start bridging that. Um, but it's actually got to the point where like, you know, game makers and game executives that go out publicly against NFTs and crypto, this is like, kind of like the populist view right now. And just like to play mobile gaming i am personally pretty bullish that as soon as there's such a pipeline of incredible games being built right now and it seems unlikely that one or a few or a few of them aren't going to be absolute breakout hits and when that happens like you know i think people will see oh like actually it's kind of convenient to be able to grind for my items and then be able to openly trade them as well like for the people who want that um and for people who don't they can literally keep playing the way that they have always i find it really interesting because you know at ftx ventures um i do a lot of web3 investing so i also for example an investor in Hugo Labs, um i'm on the board of the um of the acoin DAO, and then i look at a lot of sort of um, nft projects um and also like with my ftx hat I also talk to large consumer brands and internet companies in their kind of um exploration of web3 and the negativity is, like, way less pronounced, I, I would say, across other parts of um, consumer, at the intersection of consumer internet and, um, and, uh, and Web3. Like, I think that there's, like, this particular thread of um, pretty deep vein of negativity in gaming right now that I think is, like, a moment in time, or at least I hope it is. That isn't actually shared by some of the largest prominent brands in the world that are interested in experimenting with um with um NFTs and Web three as a means to provide like you know rewards and engagement because they see it as like just part of the cultural um, zeitgeist of what's happening right now. And like I think that's literally what it is. It's less about the technology and more about it capturing the consumer imagination cultural imagination, celebrity imagination. And that's what makes this movement um, cool for a lot of people.
0: So a couple of things. So the first thing is um, you said something like about how you don't feel that it should cost two ETH to buy one of your in-game assets, which sort of seems like a, a little bit of a knock against Axie Infinity. And I wondered, you know, generally, do you feel, because because obviously now we have these different guilds that try to um, help people with that. Do you are you sort of like down on that whole model or what's your?
1: I'm, I'm not so much down on them as in like it was hugely innovative, right? Like Axie Infinity had 2 million DAUs. That is like one that makes them one of the uh, most like the biggest like gaming, uh, com- like games titles in the world. However, I think that like um, if you look at like high spending, you know, traditional kind of like Western audience or broader like gaming audience, like there's just like a very, like a, if it's if going to cost you like $300 in order to start playing a game, like you are very much tapping your um, total addressable market. And that's why like the predominant model in gaming today is actually free to play rather than like premium games. It depends on like how big you want your addressable market.
0: And in general, how do you think the crypto community or the NFT community or the gaming community, like the the heads of these gaming studios that want to incorporate NFTs, how do you think that those people should address this animosity or or try to kind of like, you know, lessen, lessen the backlash that we're seeing from normies?
1: Yeah, I think because of the um of this kind of backlash, um, more gaming studios are like, I'm not gonna announce anything, I'm just gonna launch. A great beta, and then people are going to discover that they can actually own their assets. You know, um, and I think that's pretty clever. Rather than like what I had mentioned before, which is you can also just launch your NFTs early and um, and ride that wave. I think uh, more studios are like, I'm going to launch great product first and show people that I can launch great products, and then um, sort of you know announce like the the Web three components to it, and then other people are using and like you know in crypto we kind of have like a brand marketing issue you know what does nft really actually even mean we can just call <laughs> them like in-game items or something like that right like i think that the names and the terminology itself is like causing some like hard burn for a lot of people and so some studios are getting like very creative around that and also like um so i would say like a lot of people are worried about nickel and diming but i would say like you know, the way that economics work incentives work with um, Web3 is that it can be actually a lot more equitable, right? So like, for example, today, if you're an artist and you create an item that generates a billion dollars of, of revenue for a gaming company, because it's like the number one gaming skin or something like that, you're, you're probably going to be paid like $50,000 as an artist for that gaming studio or wh- however amount. Versus, like, imagine if you actually can get like some sort of royalty or some sort of cut um, in perpetuity of that of that item being sold. Well, I, like, you know, um, a Web three token is like can actually like create that incentive model and in a lot more um, a lot more easier than traditional model today. Although, I mean, there's obviously like regulatory um, issues, you know, that you need to work through with that. But you know, I think that's like super interesting.
0: So now let's talk about mergers and acquisitions, since that's obviously a big part of your job. In January, FTX raised four hundred million dollars, and CEO Sam Bankman-Fried said that most of those funds would go toward M and A. So, what's what's your vision there for deploying deploying those funds? Where are you concentrating,
1: and why? Yeah, we're looking at a number of areas um, on the M and A front. To date, we haven't done like a large transaction yet, but definitely. Um, Uh, have the capital and very interested in exploring and um, they're across the different areas, right? One is just like we are in so many markets globally. And in some of those, um, some of the biggest crypto markets, we are looking to buy partner sell strategy into expanding our market share in those markets. And then also, you know, we are seeing this opportunity in consumer right now. And so whether it's consumer FinTech or consumer internet companies that have tens of millions of users that have a management team and founders that are super Web3 curious, super crypto curious. And we just see a lot of like strategic and vision alignments with what we're also trying to do. That's also a great opportunity for us, you know, whether it's in the U.S. or globally. We also have a product roadmap, you know, with our own sort of um, core sort of infrastructure um, software. And um, as we see opportunities to accelerate that roadmap, like we will also. Um, like look at, you know, you know, strategic opportunities there as well. You know, we have dozens of conversations, you know, around the globe um, happening and, and, uh, you know, at the, at the highest level, we're looking for sort of visioned um, and philosophical alignment. And um, at the end of the day at FTX, you know, we would like to power as much of the world's um, crypto transactions as, as you can. And, and that's, you know, hopefully going to be across the exchange and FTX Pay and um, our marketplace et cetera, and, um, and also kind of white labeling our product. Um, and so in that vision, like we're looking for strategic alignment uh, partnerships.
0: So FTX has been pretty ass- affiliated with Solana, which is a newer smart contract blockchain. It's obviously taken off hugely in the last like year and a half or so. And so a number of the partnerships and invest- investments so far that you've made are to push things in the Solana ecosystem or get more people into Solana. and yet you know, obviously still the Ethereum ecosystem is pretty dominant. I was curious to hear what you, what you think the future of layer one will look like. Do you think it's going to be multi-chain? Do you think there will be one dominant chain or a few of them? And kind of what do you think is the future for Ethereum?
1: Yeah. So we are, um, you know, we're cross-chain platform FTXs. Um, Solana's is um, you know one of our closest partners, um, and the team is phenomenal. Uh, you know they've they've built a product that is um, cheap and also um, much more scaled today than um, o- um, others out there. You know we're also really close with the Ethereum community and you know um, our investors in Arbitrum and Starkware and uh, Layer Twos, but then we're also close with other L ones like um, Near and Polygon Avalanche, etc. And constantly exploring you know like new. Um, layer one blockchains. Although right now, I mean, when I think about the the blockchain ecosystem, a couple of thoughts come up. Um, One is that we're still at a time when right now, like some of the best teams are coming, are exploring blockchain technology and are, you know, starting to build consumer and enterprise products on chain. And that is going to drive the next phase of evolution, you know, like mainstream adoption of crypto, it's going to take killer apps built on blockchain, essentially. We saw the, in the first wave, we had DeFi summer, and then we have a lot of games being built on chain right now. But I think, you know, we've seen some amount of stalling, I would say, um, on in the DeFi space across chain. And so we're also kind of on the lookout for more innovative products in the space, um, I would say that probably like the AIDS lending protocol is like less exciting than, than like something that is truly innovative. And, you know, if you're doing kind of like complex or derivative yield protocols on chain, well, that's a specific, I mean, I think it was like a more niche like audience that you're going to be addressing. Large funds though. So like these protocols could be large, but again, like from a total number of adjustable users to smaller. And so we're really looking for innovative use cases in crypto, uh, sorry, in in mainstream applications that are interested in building on chain and really leveraging the um, blockchain technology in order to um, provide faster transactions or more secure or like more, um, you know, permissionless and like there's different reasons to build on chain, you know, utilize the incentivization model of a token, um, use token gating, etc. And there are dozens of block layer one blockchains right now because it turns out that it's easy to raise money for a layer one, and also you know the token around a layer one um, accrues value quickly. I think it's fairly unsustainable. You essentially need um, the long term sustainability of any single blockchain ecosystem relies on having a deep um, community of strong developers building useful and killer apps on top of that, and so I do think that over time we're going to have a few winners in the layer one space. You know, and of course, like Ethereum is still like the largest ecosystem. You know, in the NFT side, but then also in DeFi. But I think there's room for um, you know a few chains to have dominance, and then you'll have. Over time, and we're already seeing it this year, a rich ecosystem of infrastructure and dev tooling on top of these blockchains in order for a developer to, for example, build their product on one ecosystem and then potentially go cross-chain in a safer um, and faster way. Although, currently, cross-chain bridging is one of the most vulnerable parts of crypto. I mean, pretty much all of the major exploits have happened um, on these cross-chain bridges. And so... We will see like, you know, as there is innovation in the space, like, you know, ways to um, fix the problem of rug pulls and, um, and hacks um, in, in this space. Which, I don't know, I probably argue is probably the single most reason that um, some of the biggest companies in the world are feeling a little bit, um, maybe like not going all in on building on chain yet. All the most of them are, are experimenting. So like, yeah, those are some thoughts. Uh, that that makes a lot of
0: sense to me because I do agree with you that it feels right now like there's so many vulnerabilities and they're constantly being exploited and we even have uh, North Korean hackers going after some of these projects so um, clearly yeah. yeah there's a lot of a lot of interest by nefarious actors. One thing that you talked about in there was about mainstream adoption, and I know that you guys uh, recently sponsored the Coachella music festival. Can you talk a little bit about like that strategy, and you know what it is that you get out of doing these types of sponsorships?
1: Yeah, so my colleague Tristan, um, who's a uh, head of strategy for FTX US, um, really led that project for us. Um, he's been working on it for the last year, along with you know, you know other folks on the FTX team and. You know, we were um, we're a sponsor for uh, a partner with Coachella for the next couple of years, including this year. I was just there; it was um, week one. It was amazing, and what we had was NFT activation, where you know people on the grounds and at Coachella grounds can um, can actually collect, uh, tied with actually like a unique code on the wristband, a unique you know Coachella NFT, and some of them are able to get you know rare. Um nFTs, and we did that in collaboration with like you know a few awesome artists. And uh, we also had done a drop with like Coachella keys that did really well, where um you know people get like lifetime membership or tickets to Coachella if they own one of these like limited keys. And so um really awesome experimentation. and Coachella is, One of the largest music festivals in the world. I mean, something like 150,000 to 200,000 people will attend over two weekends. And so, if you imagine, something like 80,000 people were at um, were at Coachella week one, and we had something like 30,000 people. sign up for our NFT, I think like midway through weekend one. And so it was, I think like the, one of the largest um, activations for NFTs in the world, like ever. And it was just awesome to see people with such a positive reaction um, to it. And they were just having a lot of fun with it. And so we we see this as like a really awesome example of of really like mainstream interaction with um, with Web three and we're really excited to continue working on that with Coachella and, and with um, our, some of our other partners as well.
0: And I've also been noticing uh, you know along this adoption theme that you've also been doing a lot of deals involving you know other countries like you have had a number of announcements involving India such as a partnership with Yield Guild Games India and with something called Super Team DAO which is to help foster Solana projects in India and you also have a partnership with. I guess it's Asa Finance in Africa. Um, mm-hmm. Or Asa. I'm not sure. Uh, it's headed by Elizabeth Rossiello, who was the first podcast guest ever on Unchained. She's amazing. Oh my God. I need to have her back actually because Elizabeth um, is amazing. people have requested her back. Uh, she, yeah, she's so fascinating. But I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you see these opportunities around that around the globe and how that's affecting your strategy.
1: Yeah, every market is so different. I mean... Some markets I'm spending a lot of time on right now include, you know, certainly India, like you mentioned, um, Japan, Korea, um, Indonesia, and then and you know we have can a whole you talk team
0: about what it yeah. is about
1: those particular economies that interest you. I mean, um, I'll give Korea as an example. Um, I mean, Korea essentially has one of the deepest crypto penetration, sort of, in the world, right? It's 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 one of the top. Three. It's one of our top three markets, and it's one of the top three markets for crypto in terms of total volumes traded, like in the world, and um, and also just Korea is interesting. I mean, I'll put my gaming hat back on. Consistently, Korea is probably five years plus ahead. At least, from, I'm going to speak for gaming because I, I know other industries less. Um, than that, from an innovate tech innovation perspective, then almost any other market. There is a deep adoption and acceptance of new technologies. I'll give an example. Nexon, one of the game gaming studios, um, they had acquired actually like two Korea um, exchanges four years ago. Um, and if you look at, if you look at actually Pan-Asia, you know, um, you've got line games, you've got which is more like lines like Japan, um, but then you've got um, other teams that actually have been building blockchains themselves and wallets, et cetera, for years. I mean, this is how far ahead they are, right? And so as a result, it's an extremely important market for us. And and it's also a heavily regulated market so that only a few entities actually have banking licenses so that Korean consumers are able to buy crypto from uh fiat currency. And so, you know, it's important for us to to partner with multiple players there. And so we've been spending a lot of time. I'm going to Korea myself like later in May, super excited to meet some of our um partners. And so that's an example of a market that is like super distinct and has very deep adoption and has a rich ecosystem of partners that we can you know work with. But you know take that and then you take like Indonesia, you take India, every market is distinct in itself, it has a distinct, like, history of regulatory, um, you know, d- development and a distinct ecosystem of, like, large players in the space that are doing really interesting things um, in the market. You have, for example, in India, you know, you've got players like Dream11 that are, you know, experimenting in the space, and you know, they're probably the largest fantasy, fantasy gaming company in the world. I mean, they have a Hundreds of millions of, of users. Um, and so, like a company like that is just like, you know, I'm super fascinated to see what they end up doing in the space because these are the companies that are going to bring um, mainstream adoption in crypto. And many of whom we hope to partner with in these jurisdictions.
0: Yeah, no, it is interesting. I agree with you about how all these different economies are so different. And yeah, I. You know, my, I have relatives who live in Korea and definitely sometimes they will come to the U.S. and they will um, make fun of how the U.S. is behind in technology and my mother will get annoyed. <laughs> so um, yes, we, we know that they're advanced over there. So let's switch at topics and talk about ApeCoin. You're on the ApeCoin DAO board. How did that come about?
1: So um, I was introduced to the community, um, sort of like the, the board ape community you know, some num- some months ago, and I think they were um, as like the the DAO was coming together as a way for certainly board ape um, en- en- enthusiasts and NFT holders and community members to come and have a way to like create awesome projects and launch their own token and um, and sort of kind of innovate in IP space and 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 find collaborations. Like they were kind of thinking through like board members that were pretty deeply entrenched in, in crypto, but then also had a passion for the community and, um, and a desire to play essentially like a, a helping hand in, in setting up the, the DAO um, and, setting, um, and helping sort of guide the governance of it. And so, you know, I was asked to join and was um, super thrilled to join what was, you know, kind of like one of the most innovative DAOs like in the world and also just um, such such a passionate community. And so, I mean, the, the idea is that, you know, I'd have a six-month six term and that the board members, which also include Yasui, who's the founder of Animoca and Alex Hanian um, of um, Reddit and also Maria from Sound Ventures and Dean from Horizon Labs, um, that we would come together and basically help set up an infrastructure and kind of really support sort of core contributors to then um, hand over like, um, the day-to-day governance to the next set of, um, sort of core contributors of the, of the ApeDAO, Ape DAO, And so, yeah, we've been pretty hard at work doing that and meeting regularly. Uh, it's been super humbling, scary, like, um, exciting, all sorts of emotions because when you have, um, such a passionate and vocal community that have their own opinions about, um, where to take a DAO and a beloved IP like board apes. And you're constantly throwing that needle between doing the right thing. And then also trying to not have, you know, like certain individuals maybe like kind of overpower the conversation with self-interest. You're trying to guide the conversation to the best interest of the general community. And that's ultimately not going to, not everyone's going to agree with the path, um, but we've been really trying to thread that needle, and obviously have so much more that we can be doing, and a lot that we are trying to do already, lost in store. But it's it's been like um, a pretty awesome journey. Um, you know, Yotsen putting himself out there with like um, a couple of the staking proposals, and uh, you know, been doing like a phenomenal job with that. It's scary when you know when people start attacking. You know, you personally, and I had experiences back that when I was involved with the Sushi DAO. Like she stopped out as well, and um, but you gotta just try to not take things personally and just try to do the best that you can for the community.
0: If you're interested in these issues, I feel like you should read my book because um, this was kind of the exact dilemma that played out in eth- Ethereum's early years. <laughs> um, but you uh, tweeted that the Bored Ape Yacht Club, or that you think the Bored Ape Yacht Club is becoming the, the Disney of our generation. Can you talk about, like, what your vision is of, you know, where, where Board Ape Yacht Club is going and then, like, how you think that vision will blend with this kind of, like, DAO ownership and, you know, just how, how hard it is really to have a community kind of execute on a, on a vision like that?
1: Yeah. So then I'm switching over my hats because I'm also an investor with FTX Ventures in um, Yuga Labs which is a holding company for um, Borda Yacht Club, IP, also um, CryptoPunks and MeBits. And um, and yeah, I mean, Eagle Labs is um, headed up by um, Nicole um, Muniz and then um, her team. And uh, it's, I mean, they're like visionary in terms of um, the plans that they have in building sort of metaverse game, but then also other games within the metaverse. And then other collabs, whether it's like in the commerce space to the um to media, to sort of you know shows, et cetera, that they have like kind of that they're brainstorming and, and, and a lot like sort of like in and process of, of building out. It's um it's an incredibly expansive vision, and um, they think about companies like a disney as like north star in the sense that you know the company has incredibly valuable ip for example Board a um, yacht club that then can be essentially activated in so many amazing consumer products whether that's in the form of merchandise or a sh- or a movie or a game etc and um, of course like now the um sort of like the responsibility is to create these amazing consumer experiences. But I think, you know, it's like an incredibly like hardworking and solid team operating um, sort of at the helm of Yuga, along with the original founders, you know, that are involved in the creative side day-to-day as they're building towards this. These consumer products are not built overnight, you know, like they're built over years. And, um, and that's sort of like the timeframe that the team has in terms of um, building out this, this brand.
0: And then like, you know, what do they see as kind of their purview and what do they see as the DAO's purview?
1: Yeah, I mean, the DAO is, um, so, I mean, Yuga Labs is building out the business for Yuga Labs. And then the DAO is essentially a um, sort of like a sister community, right? That is really meant for the community around this IP to take charge, take governance um, and, um, and also, you know, kind of do what they want with the token to just generate like, ip and projects etc i mean obviously like the there's um there's partnership in that but i think it's pretty awesome like you have a kind of like the centralized company that um that owns one set of ip and then their sister community that is able to actively participate as part of the DAO. Hmm.
0: so i i did hear that some people in the ape coin community felt that there wasn't a need for um board ape, uh yacht club to have its own coin which is this Ape coin that we have been talking about, or Ape. What do you have yeah. to say to that?
1: Well, I would say that not everyone can afford a $250,000 NFT. And actually, I think it's very democratizing to um, have a token that people can buy one of. For a fraction of the cost, and still feel like they're part of the community, and they can vote as part of the community, um, and vote as part of the DAO, and um, be an active participant, and um, speculate if they want to, or use it um, more as like their. Um, and then eventually, you know, as there are more projects that come online that utilize the token, that they can you know participate in that and build in that if they want to. So I I I think of it as a democratizing move.
0: And then for Ape itself, like, would have to happen for that coin to rise in value. Like, what what is the you know price indicative of?
1: If you ask that of any crypto token, it's like literally nobody in the world can predict, like, on a short <laughs> and medium term where the price goes. Um, we can't even predict that for FTT, our token. I mean, in general, in terms of a long term perspective. It's general you know it's like if you are generating valuable projects and building valuable projects and partnering with projects that embed the tokens that have a lot of uses, generally that should be in line with generating value for the token. And I think we have seen that in like some of the uh, more popular tokens like um, Ethereum or um, for example, FTT and Solana and others and and hopefully that will be um, the 8coin as well. And um, and you can see, you know, like, I think some of the price is reacting um, around the projects that will be launched. And then obviously there's a lot of responsibility in these projects actually being great experiences and fun experiences for um, the community and the, and the user base. And so, um, but it's not like a one-time thing. It's like over time, there will be dozens and dozens of projects launched, and um, and hopefully, like the um, over time, there will be like a very valuable body of assets that um, that the token holders can you know participate in, and, and that is all correlated with long-term price.
0: And I think there are also maybe questions about whether or not Ape is a security.
1: What do you have to say about that? I think that. You know, we're all kind of in crypto waiting to see what the, the black and white lines are that defines a token as a security. And um, I think that the team that launched the token has done pretty much everything, everything in their power to try to align with like the latest sort of guidance that they have around it to have it not be a token. Um, but again, there's like not that much like hard line regulations around that. And so they'll adjust like as there is
0: yeah and obviously <laughs> Gary Gensler has uh, the head of the SEC now might have different views than uh, even predecessors um so in an announcement video Labs said the other side which seems to be this like metaverse that they're launching will be coming in april we are recording this on april 20th um should we be
1: expecting something imminently or you know kind of what what can we expect they do have some imminent um uh i think activities um that people are discussing uh, today, uh, but in terms of like the metaverse game, like what I would say is that um, a metaverse game is a multi-year endeavor, right? Like at um, they're like you know, you guys going to be launching components of it continuously, but it's not like a huge game is going to launch all in one go. Like really, um, the beauty of a open world type of game, which is what um, what this like you know, other side vision is, is that experiences and games within other side are going to launch over the next like number of years. And, um, and that's, what's like, we're most excited about.
0: All right. So we're a bit more than a quarter of the way into 2022. What new developments or
1: trends are you watching
0: for the rest of the year?
1: I think that NFTs have done better than we expected. It is an asset class within crypto that has taken a life of its own that's quite separate from the hardcore DeFi community. And it's being increasingly coming up in conversation with um, the biggest brands in the world. There's hardly one that's not thinking about it, you know? Um, And so I think we're within, let's say 12 to 18 months of very awesome, creative, you know, and not, you know, like experiments and and brands like launching things in the space. And what I'm super excited about is utility, like just PFP projects, less interesting, I think, for everybody now, right? Like utility, much more interesting, whether it's like, you know, membership gating, um, access to experiences, etc. Like that's so much more interesting. So, you know, I spend most of my time in Web3 and I will continue to there's so much activity going on like across the world and across like new companies building the space so like large large companies building the space and whereas at the beginning of the year I was sort of like kind of like regretting how most of the space is actually just picks and shovels plays in, in the NFT world. Actually we're like seeing amazing projects launching. I mean Moonbirds obviously you know Kevin Rose's project recently and um and others uh, sort of like um, in pipeline. And I would say that, you know, at the beginning of the year, I figured, we, I think we all sort of predicted that it was gonna be a big year for um, blockchain infrastructure and that will continue to be like an area of intense, like um, of intense um, interest. Like some of the strongest blockchain developers right now are, are building in sort of like the picks and shovels infrastructure space. And so we're really excited about that. Although um, what this space needs is more killer apps. And so, like you know, kind of like that's what I'm really excited about finding and um, and investing in is like really strong traditional teams for me, particularly in consumer, that are looking to build the next like dating app or social network or you know other sort of consumer apps, um, embedding Web three elements like token, fungible, non fungible tokens in really creative ways, like live streaming, shopping. like I'm interested in those use cases because I think that's what's really going to bring like the next like 100 million um, to billion users in crypto. And that's what I'm most excited about still.
0: I don't even know what that means. Live streaming shopping and like how would that incorporate NFTs or crypto?
1: Mm, so like hypothetically, I mean, if obviously live streaming shopping is huge in um, Asia. I mean, it's what does that literally areas- mean like I...
0: I walk around from shop to shop and I live stream myself shopping or I don't get what that means. Okay. So
1: that, so the core use case would be, um, you are logging onto a website and watching an influencer, like, um, essentially it's like basically modern QVC, right? You're, you're um, watching an influencer, like sell items, like a lot of, a lot of which are like collectibles. Right. And it's like a it's a form of entertainment. Basically it's like, imagine if I'm watching YouTube, or streaming but now i can like buy the item as well and that's basically like live stream shopping and it's huge in china um and some other asian markets and there's a couple of companies like um pop shop live and others in the u.s that are um that are earlier stage that are trying to make that happen here and um and so like imagine if like if um one of these platforms can incorporate like a token as a means to essentially like rewards membership maybe you get free shipping if you if you launch, uh, if you like own the token that the that the uh, platform has launched, um, the influencers can sell NFTs as well. Like on the platform, they're already selling a lot of collectibles. You know, a lot of them are selling like sneakers and mystery boxes and things like that. So, I think uh, it's like I'm just giving that as one example. Another use case that I just haven't really seen yet that I would love to is the intersection of like Web three and dating apps. Like, you know, how do people incentivize maybe like friends introducing their friends? dates, utilizing tokens in some way. That would be super interesting. And um, so, yeah. But like how? I'm, I'm how would you incorporate that? Um, maybe you can get rewarded more tokens if you um, introduce a friend to a date where they go on a third date or something like that, right? You're incentivizing great day re- dates referrals. <laughs> I'm just throwing that idea out there. I yeah. Think or or you sick. get like
0: 10 times the amount of tokens if they actually get married. <laughs>
1: Oh my God. Yeah. Or like a hundred times. Right. That's priceless. Um, yeah. I actually,
0: and I then, actually know yeah. some people who are extremely good at this and like have, you know, set up multiple couples. So.
1: <laughs> yeah. So then it's like, okay, you get cred, you know, you, you are a hyper connector of people on dates and high quality dates. And so therefore maybe you have like a higher for, and so you can, you can like collect, like you get dropped like more valuable NFTs or something like that. I don't know. Like there's a lot of different ways to potentially get that. I think okay. I had tweeted about this once and then people were like, no, this sounds like it's a terrible idea. And I'm like, honestly, I would love to see this in practice.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things where, yeah, it depends on the implementation. I could see it going wrong, but you know, it, <laughs> it could also work. Mm-hmm. um well this has been super fun thank you so much for coming
1: on unchained where can people learn more about you and ftx Let's see so um both ftx um and also myself we're very active on twitter so you can find me at, at amy tongwu um my handle on twitter and uh, my dms are open for folks that want to reach out perfect all right well thanks so much for coming on the show thanks so much laura for having me today
0: Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Amy, FTX, and gaming, check out the show notes for this episode. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Mark Murdoch, Shashank, and CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.